what do you want to use the Power Platform for? Do you want this citizen developer movement? Do you want your IT department to develop quick wins and quick solutions with Power Apps, for example? Or do you want the whole package like Fusion Teams and all of that? If you know where you're going with this, then it helps. If you know the goal, then you know, then you right. might have an idea where to get or how to get there. So this is something. Why do you want to use Power Platform? That's the first question that I ask all my customers. Welcome to Amazing Applications, episode 133. This is Neil Benson from Customary. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you for listening. I hope you enjoy the Amazing Apps podcast, but even more than that, I hope you find the show helpful for either learning something or being inspired to build your own amazing, agile Dynamics 365 and Power Platform apps. If you do, could you do me a favor and share a favorite episode either on LinkedIn or perhaps internally with your team. Scroll through the recent episodes and pick the one that you like the most. The episode number is the first thing in the show notes. And the URL for the episode is just amazingapps.show slash episode number. For example, this is episode 133, so it's amazingapps.show slash 133. Sharing the show really helps the podcast to grow and helps me reach and help more business apps builders just like you and keep the show going. We're going to meet a special guest, Michael Roth, in just a moment. First, I'd like to congratulate Turth J. Ubadier at Quartec, Stephen Maynard at Factor, Mike Pacey and Richard Ashby, both from Incremental Group. They've all completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course and achieved their professional Scrum Master certification with Scrum.org. Well done, and thanks for being part of Customary Academy. I really appreciate you. I'll add a link in the show notes if learning Scrum and getting certified in applying successful Scrum patterns for Dynamics 365 and Power Platform apps is part of your learning plan for 2023. I hope it is. Michael Roth is a colorful Power Platform consultant with Avanade, and he's from Germany. He's been a Microsoft MVP since 2021. His specialty is Power Platform governance. So in this episode, we dive into how to build amazing apps and keep them amazing by looking after them and supporting our community of app builders. Let's go, Michael. Michael Roth, welcome to the Amazing Applications podcast. It's great to have you on. All the way from Germany, I'm sitting here in sunny Brisbane. What time is it in Germany with you? Uh, it's half past nine here. Oh, wow. I really appreciate you coming onto the show. So great to finally meet you. I've seen your profile and some of the community work that you've been doing all over LinkedIn and Twitter. Pretty recognizable with your beautiful blue head of hair. And uh, you're doing some amazing work around governance, which we'd love to get into. But it'd be great just to let us hear your backstory, how you get into business applications and what you're doing today. I will start with a quick introduction, just to say what I do and Maybe then that makes sense what, what I do and why I do it. I'm a Mizeps MVP for, I think, one and a half years now. And uh, I work as something that's called Manager in Experience Tech. And this is a title that is confusing on the one hand, but I kind of like it because I can morph it into anything that I want to actually. And um, what I do is with work with governance is uh, I work with the Power Platform and I focus on only the fun stuff. This is governance and licensing. I think we can agree on that. <laughs> um, and uh, this is the whole thing. Uh, I try to work around the users, actually, and how they experience tech and how I experience the Power Platform and the low-code platform. That's Very what cool. I do, I think. And I you've hope. got an interesting background. You've got a, a master in arts uh, not a very traditional path into business applications. Tell me a little bit about your journey from being an art student to being a business applications MVP. 
in university I studied, I don't know the correct English term and I try to get it. It's sometimes I read the word pedagogical science or something like that, or educational science, if you will. Yeah. And there was a specific part that was focusing on some kind of consultancy, actually, that takes your educational science knowledge and puts it into consultancy. Rather, if you uh, like support your customers in the educational sector, like schools and uh, preschools and all that, or you take your knowledge around learning and people and humans and put them into the um, business world. And that's what I did. So I started as a business consultant, actually. And um, to be totally honest, I'm lazy as fuck. I'm sorry. I'm not sure if I allowed to say that or use swear words, but I'm lazy. And... Um, yeah, at some point in my career working as a change manager for mostly IT projects, because I like IT and tech, because I'm lazy, I dipped my toe into Power Platform. And at some point, I built my first flow, which was a tea timer. Press a button. Three minutes later, I got reminded <laughs> to put the tea bag out of the cup. And uh, that was actually the beginning. <laughs> so many times I've left my tea bag stewing in the cup. Yeah. See, I'm solving <laughs> real world problems here. <laughs> And yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the thing. From there, I tried to really dive head over heels into power apps and power automate and build things. And uh, it worked out okay, I guess. But then I kind of uh, reconsidered what I'm actually good at. And this is talking to people and explaining things and connecting the dots. So um, now I'm focusing more on the governance part of a power platform, do a lot of pre-sales. And also the whole organizational implementation, because right. many of my customers are, we have power apps now. And we clicked. Yeah. Now we have apps. What What now? What's, what's next? Yeah. And so you're at Avanade in Germany. I noticed recently that Avanade, I know these numbers might change from time to time, but you got 68 Microsoft MVPs at Avanade, which is amazing. And you were hoping for just one more, is that right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, 69 is a nice number. Well, but actually, I think there is uh, there are some some things going on right now which I'm not supposed to talk about. But I think the number will increase pretty soon. We got some Good. really nice names here in the line, and yeah, that's. I mean, Avanade is obviously one of Microsoft's biggest global partners, and it's wonderful that they're supporting so many of their team with their community activities. So hats off to Avanade. Yes, well done. yes, absolutely. They they do that like with full hearts, and that's I really like that. Yeah, cool. So I've got some customers who, my background is mostly Dynamics 365. And oh, I've that. got customers building Dynamics apps, then they're building some power apps, then <laughs> long time later, <laughs> thinking, oh, governance, holy smoke, uh, we ought to do something. And I was w wondering, do you get many customers coming to you with governance first, thinking, we're going to build out a power platform application portfolio, but we should really set off with the right foundations and think about governance first? Or are they all like my customers who think about governance sometime later when it's maybe too late? So you think there are people out there who think first and then act. That is, yeah. is nice. Um, <laughs> faith in humanity. <laughs> now, actually, uh, I, I think I got this question a lot, actually, from every customer. They're like, ah, we started already, and now we, yeah, oh, shoot, now we have a governance thing going on. Um, and uh, I get asked a lot, are we the only ones? No. All of my customers, and really all of them, built first the first apps, the first flows to see how it works, if it works, if it's something for them. And then they think about governance and organizational implementation and how to get like value out of it. So your customers are definitely not alone. I'm still left to be surprised by my first customer who thinks about governance first. We'll see. Yeah. 
And the types of people that you're working with, are they system administrators? Are they IT managers? Who are the types of people that typically think about governance? Is it the IT crowd? Or because we're building business applications, do they tend to be line of business managers that worry about governance? I would say half and half. Half of them are actually from the IT departments, not necessarily administrator. Surprisingly, I hardly know anyone who identifies themselves as a power platform admin, because oh. I think that role is kind of, you get this when you're in the wrong room at the wrong time, and then you are <laughs> power platform admin, or you are like the general admin, and you yeah, you do a little bit of power platform on the sides or something like that. So this is one part, and the other part are actually people from the business who uh, just earned the role of platform owner or product owner or something like that. And now right. they have to consider it, but they only approach me and contact me when they got approached by IT security from their own organization. So, yeah. so what is it what you're doing over there with Power Platform? So have you considered <laughs> security and governance? Um, 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 well, let me call someone. <laughs> yeah, so I get that quite a lot. A lot of my particularly towards the end of my bigger projects, we get a lot of our work initiated by IT security, having <laughs> a wanting to do penetration tests and, and shakedowns mm. and all sorts of things. So it's all good. You know, it's, we have to be grown up, responsible uh, adults and play nicely with other people's data. So yeah, it's, we, uh, we try and follow some good secure practices. My preference is just to eliminate my production access for as long as possible and, you know, give it to as few people as possible as a starting point. But uh, let me um, just... At one one thing here, um, I think it sounds a bit like uh, that governance is there to protect data. It is, yes. I often get it that uh, governance is received as something that shuts down possibilities and limits possibilities of people and users and, and makers. I think it's actually quite the opposite because um, you need to have some rules and basics and guidelines how to work with Power Platform. Otherwise, you can be kind of lost. I always think about uh, traffic laws. If you ever travel to a different country and you drive a car there and you know all the, you have like streets and cars and bike lanes, that's fine. But you have so many rules that you're not fully aware of and you're a little bit lost and you're a little bit like, uh, should I go here? Can I go left or something like that? And this is something a good governance can uh, actually enable makers and, and give them security. And yeah, that's Help what I really like. Drive safely. Yes, but you can only yeah. drive safely if you know what to do and what not to do. And that's super important, actually. And the customers that are thinking about governance interacting with you, are, do they tend to be large enterprises? I imagine Avanade's got a big portfolio of large enterprise customers, but I'm just wondering if governance is a an important topic for organizations of all sizes in all industries, or does, does there tend to be certain types of organizations that worry about it more than others? Well, yes, Avanade has a focus on the large enterprise customers, obviously, and uh, so that are a lot of customers that I deal with. But before working at Avanade, and now sometimes, like, as a side hustle, I would sometimes NGOs, like really small organizations, like one person in the IT department or something. Right. And um, especially the small organizations, they benefit from governance point of view that they are secure. I think regardless of the, the size of the organization, everybody wants to be secure and wants their data to be secure, especially in Germany, you have like the worker councils and GDPR and all that. I especially benefit from the, if you have like an idea how to work with power platform like vision or something like that and if you communicate that vision that is always the core or the root where i start my governance journey and that helps in particular the small organizations because now they have an idea what to focus on and what they can leave aside like small organizations don't need yeah. a really tricky compliance process or something that is usually that's too much for them but yeah. if they know that they can leave that aside and they can focus on what matters for them yeah okay so maybe you don't need six layers of approvals to get your app into production and you can streamline your processes, but you should have a process, right? 
You should have a process. That always helps. It gives you structure and security. And yeah. <laughs> what are the three big mistakes that you see organizations make where they haven't yet considered governance? You've come in, you've done maybe a quick scan of their environment. What are the top three things that stand out as, oh my goodness, how do they get themselves into this mess? <laughs> oh, I would have some stories actually. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, I would. I would focus around the things that I think uh, are most important and that are not rather technical things. The first thing I just mentioned is the vision. What do you want to use the Power Platform for? Do you want this citizen developer movement? Do you want your IT department to develop quick wins and quick solutions with Power Apps, for example? Or do you want the whole package like Fusion Teams and all of that? If you know where you're going with this, then it helps. If you know the goal, then you know, then you right. might have an idea where to get or how to get there. So this is something, why do you want to use Power Platform? That's the first question that I ask all my customers. Quite unusual, I guess, because most of them are like, uh, what? Because we have it in our seated M365 <laughs> license. So I think that's the first one. And the second one follows is uh, the mindset. Because I think wow. the whole idea of a low-code platform and giving my users the possibility to work on their own flows, for example, or apps, requires, a, I would say, modern and flexible mindset because it breaks up silos and it breaks up boundaries of classical collaboration structures. And um, this can be scary, not only for IT administrators, but also for business owners um, who say, do I want everyone to like mess around with my data? It's difficult to shift the mindset, but I think uh, since we are, our organizations are operating in a, in a volatile and ever-changing environment, we need a, a flexible idea of modern collaboration, actually. Yeah, so that's something I need to work on. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> stuck in the old school IT mindset of, oh, let me just hold on to this and protect it. I don't want citizen developers uh, running amok. <laughs> but, uh, You're uh, not the only one. I'm yeah, as well. <laughs> but I've seen some beautiful, really hyper-productive applications built by people you know, in their yes. job role because they have an intimate understanding of what their team yes. needs and what they don't need. It's something that development team might never have that kind of intimacy with their business requirements and the challenges they face and the nuances of their business processes. So I need to fix my mindset, I think. <laughs> uh, I can send you a nice uh, blog I wrote about that, like how to change the mindset and uh, to get new ideas, to get new, new goals. Uh, anyway, my third tip, so to say, is uh, the communication part. And uh, when I come to customers and they started already on thinking about governance and implementing things. They have their tenant setting strays, they have data loss prevention policies in place, environment strategy, all that beautiful things. Okay, did you document that somewhere? And we all know how, how much joy it is in, in writing <laughs> documentation. But um, And some of them even say yes. And then I get an, an Excel spreadsheet with all the data loss prevention policies and all the connectors listed up. I said, okay, if I'm a maker in this organization and I we have three environments, what can I do in the environments? Will you send me that Excel spreadsheet? I said, yes. Okay, I wouldn't know what to do with it. So if you have thought about governance, what to do with the Power Platform and uh, what are the rules and whatnot, then you have to communicate it to the maker, obviously. And uh, maybe at this point, I really would like to emphasize the Power Platform Community Hub that was published by Microsoft only recently. It's quite a recent one, yeah. Yeah, basically just a SharePoint collection, that template that uh, you can deploy. And I really like that because that is uh, some kind of opinionated guidance by Microsoft. Yeah. And I have so many customers that see, oh, they published something. What is it? Then I tell them, I say, oh, it's communication. That's so important. Well, if Microsoft published a template for that, it seems to be important. So we should do that. And that is gold for my work, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've noticed some quite a few 
developments recently and Microsoft publishing more adoption frameworks and community tools to help us with communication, to help us with design patterns, some really good stuff coming, which is awesome. I think it's not, I wouldn't say it's been an area of neglect, but people like the PowerCat team have really mm-hmm. taken some of these best practices and made it available to all Microsoft customers, which is, which is wonderful. And I imagine you've got your own set of internal tools and best practices as well. One little thing that my teams do, I think reasonably well, we go in, we start documenting our processes. Here's our release management process. Here's how we're going to take a set of customizations, wrap them up in a solution, store them in, in source control, and then release them into production. Oh. Uh, so we're starting to document that kind of stuff and then document the environments. And our favorite tool for doing all of that is just a wiki. Whatever wiki the customer already has that is easily accessible by us, by other Microsoft partners, by obviously all the internal staff as well, and much better than an Excel spreadsheet, which who knows if it's current or out of date, uh, and it's who's got a copy of it in their drawer, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, Um, the old version thingy. In the end, I would say it doesn't matter the tool, actually. You can use Excel, but if it has to work, you have to like communicate what are your intentions, what are the rules, and how to work with this. And if you just send over a spreadsheet with a lot of connectors that doesn't help anyone, actually. Yeah. So. I want to talk about the center of excellence for a moment, because I think of a center of excellence as a group of people who mm-hmm. are sharing best practices, discussing their environment strategy or their data loss prevention policies. It seems to be a trend. People think of a center of excellence now as a toolkit, because there is a starter toolkit available yeah. that's labeled as center of excellence. The thing that concepts are becoming confused a little bit. How do you think of a center of excellence? A center of excellence or a center of excellence starter kit? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're they're different. That's the that's the yes, challenge. Yes, two things. Yeah. So center of excellence, like a group of people coming together, sharing things, best practices and knowledge. I love it. I think that's uh, that's something that I've experienced actually at quite a lot of employees and workplaces. And I really think this is basically the community idea. Like right. if I know something something great, then I share it with others, and they build on top of that, and then something amazing happens. I love this. So, yeah, and I can see why the Center of Excellence Starter Kit is actually named that way because they are collecting best practices and tools that you should at least consider and share it basically for free, which is great, but it's easily confused. And I think the naming doesn't really help at all the time. I'm a huge fan of the PowerCat team and the Center of Excellence Starter Kit. This is something I constantly talk about (laughs) and constantly work with. Good. So and tell us about some of the latest features in there. I, I try to keep up with it, but I'm sure you're much closer to it than I am. I think the latest feature that I saw were uh, a video app where you have uh, a Canvas app that lets you store videos from external sources like YouTube or if you have a stream, you can use your own uh, for like sharing videos, for example, Power Apps or Power Automate, which is nice. We have like a little rating feature, thumbs up, okay. comments and stuff like that. So a, a little mini YouTube, but built on Power Platform for your organization. This is really nice. So oh, those could and, be uh, internal videos or externally hosted yes. videos? Okay. Yes, gotcha. both yeah. of them. Yeah, That's yeah. really great. So if you have internal videos, great, you can use them. If you just want, I don't know, the latest videos uh, of a YouTuber you follow for Power Apps, you can put it in there as well. Oh, so this cool. is really great. What I really like and what I really would like to work on myself is the admin task tool, I think it's called. It's basically a model-driven app that lets you build a work schedule for the Power Platform Administrator. So all the things that you need to do on a regular basis or every month or something like that, you can build it. I'm not a huge fan of model-driven apps, actually, because I'm a huge UX UI fan. And I think, oh, well, oh, <laughs> arrow through my heart. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but I like the idea, actually, that because Power Platform Administrator isn't a job that you do 
as a side job or something, this is like a full-time job and even better if you have a whole team. And uh, to get yourself or the team organized, an app is helpful. And they have like pre-considered tasks that you have to do. And I really think that helps. And I kind of want to work with it a bit and to see where it can go and create, I don't know, something like a, a schedule where you can see the, like a week, for example, and to see where are, when are my tasks due, what I, do I need to do, deleting environments and adding yeah. users to new environments, all this kind of stuff. It's really odd because I would have thought Azure DevOps is a natural environment for those kind of operational tasks. Azure DevOps doesn't have recurring tasks. It's a missing feature. From an operations point of view, that's a big gap. It's got lots of great functionality for developers, you know, operations people, not so much. It's got some way to go. Yeah, I, I think too. I, I can't talk too much about DevOps because uh, I I've hardly used it, which is a shame. I think it has just from reading the description and seeing videos. I think it's great for, for ops. Haven't used it too much myself. Right. Okay. There's Canvas apps now to help administrators manage their recurring tasks, their weekly schedules and things? Not yet. Uh, so the PowerCat team released a model-driven app for that. Right. Oh, okay. And uh, it's just me that I'm, I have difficulties with working with uh, model-driven apps. <laughs> well, that's because you're an artist. You've got a base of UX experience and skills that I just don't have. So if I was to design a Canvas app, it would end up looking terrible and unusable. And I'd have to put a lot of emotional energy into trying to make <laughs> it functional. Whereas I can just roll a model-driven app and not worry too much. You know, the, the grids and forms, they're all given to me. I can just uh, adopt the fluent UI and not have to worry too much about it see i come from this m365 background in sharepoint so that was obviously my first data source so canvas app was like the natural first thing thing for yeah. me but there's one feature that got uh, released recently but maybe i would like to uh, not really recently but the managed environments i think they get talked a lot about because um, there are kind of okayish features in there but the whole downside of is it in every environment that you install it every user requires a premium license and this right. is a huge so showstopper for many of my customers and um so i work with a lot of customers to rebuild the functionality just on the base of sharepoint which works great right so i'm okay. still excited to see what they're where they're going with that so what, what are the benefits of managed like, environments that customers would love to adopt but can't uh, because of the licensing snafu what, what are the main reasons why they wanted to use them <laughs> I think the core feature, which I really like, is um, that you can uh, limit the sharing capabilities of Power Apps. Like if you say, I have an app and please alert me or please set a limitation to, to share with not more than 10 people or five people or something like that. Because as an administrator, I would like to have a, an idea of what's going on in my environments and right. which apps are like really, really useful for a lot of people. If it's uh, an app that deals with critical business-related data, then I would like to know who's working with it. Other way around, if an app is used by 30, 40 people, then maybe that's a great app. Maybe we should share. We should talk about it. Right. So this is a nice feature. Okay. But on so, the other hand, you yeah. can build that functionality yourself, right? That works. <laughs> Do you think Microsoft's going to reconsider the licensing position that you know they have done in the past for other parts of the Power Platform? Uh, yeah. I don't know, but I think there is a lot of things going on with licensing lately. Power Pages got the known licensing model, and I've seen a lot of um, communication around everything that is with in between Power Apps and Power Automate. Like, you don't need a Power Automate license, standalone license, if it's got triggered from within the context of an app. And the context of an right. app is actually whatever that means. And um, I just... Got this nice quote from somebody working at Microsoft for the Power Platform. It's within the spiriting of the licensing guide. 
right. so because the licensing guide is not a legal binding document but it has to be in the spirit of the licensing guide and that's something i don't know so there's movement in the in the licensing sector right now yeah. so don't know where I, it's going thank you i take exactly the same position it's a licensing guide it's not an agreement yes. it's not a contract i haven't signed it it's additional advice from microsoft about how to apply the terms and conditions of the licensing agreement that you've agreed to but um it's just a guide yeah that's the guide <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's there's, there's there's so many apps now in the platform, and you know the way that they're all licensed is slightly different. Uh, there's lots of different ways of interpreting things, so it, it is good to have some guidance as to what is permissible and what's not. But yeah, sometimes we have to get a little bit creative. Go back to our friends at Microsoft, consult with their commercial teams to find out you know is this scenario uh, within the, within the limits or outside, and, and go from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That helps. Uh, like communication, talking yeah. to people helps. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you see much demand for PowerApps customers adopting PowerPages and building external facing portals? Is that something that a lot of your customers are doing? Not really. In my experience only. Um, I've seen a lot of use cases where customers or people from Microsoft approached me and said, hey, this would be a nice use case for Pages. And with a, when we looked further into it, we realized, no, it's not. Uh, I still struggle to find good use cases, actually, which are valuable for the okay. licensing price. But they just reworked it, so I'm not sure if I'm up to date with the last prices or latest prices. I haven't used pages as much as I would like to. Okay. I do see quite a lot of demand from my customers. And one that I'm working with at the moment has just deployed a partner application built on pages. Works really well. I've seen others where they've maybe got an enterprise content management system. They're using Adobe Experience Manager or Sitecore. Mm -hmm. And so they want to stick with that technology and, and just call the Dataverse APIs and, mm -hmm. and retrieve data and create records and things. I think Pages fits a nice gap there in the middle. I've got one customer who didn't like the kind of user interface restrictions of Pages, wanted to build a really nice externally facing application. So they built it on a Canvas app and then mm -hmm. licensed all of their external users um, with a per month per user uh, license, mm -hmm. uh, and that's um, that's worked really well. Um, the licensing nice. fees are a little bit more expensive, but this customer has been able to build the user experience that they were really looking for on the Canvas platform. So um, oh, that's, that's working great. really well. There's lots of options. Yeah, that is the point. I really like the whole range of the platform gets extended by pages by a lot, and just because I don't have use cases or customers yet doesn't mean that isn't isn't a good product. So yeah. I just didn't have the chance to to play around with it as much as I like because usually if you like experience new products, that happens for me at least in the in the range of a project and not necessarily in my free time. Yeah. <laughs> I play with the old products in my free time. <laughs> <laughs> if you were in charge of Microsoft, what would you be working on next? What would you invest your your development resources in enhancing and improving? Or building something new? Oh, first of all, I don't want to be in charge of Microsoft at all. <laughs> this is not my kind of job. But what I would really love to see would be something that I don't use, but I've seen the demand for that a lot. And that is um, when developers or makers can... I think Microsoft just announced something like the uh, co-developing experience that more really? than one people can can work on one, one Power App. I don't know how they solved it yet i haven't seen it yet but uh, i'm really excited because that's the first thing that i hear from code first developers a lot yeah like this is a limitation that really really 
would be nice to solve, I think. Yeah, my team spend a lot of time. So we have our daily scrums in the morning. A lot of that is focusing on who's doing what. So you know, we <laughs> yes. don't clash with each other for the rest of the day, at least. It takes a little bit of coordination. So I'm really interested to see how Microsoft's solving it. We've got additional challenges that some of my projects I'm working with other teams from other Microsoft partners. So the same Dataverse environment, but completely different applications. We just have the same data model underneath. So that's even more coordination. That's going to be really exciting. <laughs> uh, some tough problems to solve. Absolutely. And I, I'm really impressed. Every time I hear somebody talk about GitHub and the whole open source thing that's going on there and how many people can contribute at one thing and they like, they merge code. And I don't get it, really. I, I try. <laughs> I really try. <laughs> but uh, I think this is amazing. The whole concept around this is uh, actually, it's above my mind, but uh, yeah. it's great. It's, I think it's a really tough position for Microsoft. They've got a massive community of professional developers who rely on you know GitHub and Source Control and Azure DevOps and integrated development environments and Visual Studio and all that stuff. And they, they need to keep going faster and build more creative and solve bigger, harder problems. Mm -hmm. And we've got to bring along this community of Fusion teams and then citizen developers who... I've never thought of source control. I've never, yes. thought, you know, they want to develop in production and don't understand why they have to go through this dev test cycle. You know, two very polar opposite audiences to try and please at once. Microsoft's doing okay on both fronts, I think, but it's yeah. going to be you know, a long time before everybody can be happy. It's still a journey, yes, but I think they're doing quite okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see a lot of customers with this idea of a fusion team where we have app makers who are you know, maybe line of business people working alongside professional developers? Uh, lately, I hardly do, actually. I see such fusion teams at Avanade, which I really like. I think it's great. Right. But I think my latest projects, which weren't merely focused on, on governance, were around um, a challenge where the customer says, okay, this is a cool platform project, and we should do that. And... When I come in as a solution architect, for example, and I, we build the whole architecture and then we realize this isn't the Power Platform project at all. And I think often it's um, Power Platform is, is still a huge buzzword for many customers. Like this is what the cool kids are doing. I want to do this as well, which is nice. I really like that. And often um, when, when customers approach me and they say like, this is what we want. Can we do those Power Apps? And even when I say, yes, that's possible, they want me or my team to develop it, and then they right. just wanted to deploy it. And, and then I ask, are you going to work on that app by yourself? No. Do you want to customize it or enhance it? Nope. So why should we use low-code then? I've got exactly the same debate going on with a couple of my customers. Yeah, I mean, I have a whole team of devs, and they're cool Power Platform, but with any other language as well. So yeah. why should they use like limit themselves with low-code right. when the customer doesn't want to work on the app anyway? So yeah. I yeah, don't get I'm going to pass it over to you and hope for, for your support team to be able to maintain it and extend it and look after it. Yeah. We can uh, do that, but that's actually quite expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got the same debates raging with my customers at the moment. Yeah, we want you to take a low-code approach first. Okay. Who within your organization is going to extend it or look after it once we're done? Oh, no, we're going to, we're going to hire a managed service partner to do that for us. Okay, well, maybe a code-first strategy, which is often quicker to build, easier to maintain. Is more appropriate, but we have to fight that fight. Um, yes, absolutely. But I think that's that's something that Microsoft should consider uh, in the near future, like how they how they uh, build their marketing around Power Platform. Because I think many customers still don't get the idea, or at least the idea that I have for Power Platform, and why they should use it. Like 
we could use it instead of some code first development but i think the real power of the platform <laughs> uh, lies within the uh, citizen developer part that you have in your seeded license you have like the opportunity to build flows and apps and, and whatnot but everybody can do that and this yeah. really brings value because the more small solutions you have but they solve real case issues like with my teabag yeah. <laughs> this is something that made my life easier and i didn't need like a whole dev team or something but those processes that you have like i don't know uh, sorting files in a sharepoint library or like an approval process if i want to go on holiday or something like that yeah. those processes you have they take time and they are being done manually and that doesn't make any sense and those are my most favorite power platform projects because you can have a lot of them. We have lots of those processes that we do since forever. That's right. And uh, that is the mindset that needs to happen. We can look at those projects and don't necessarily gather the new ones, but we should modernize our whole organization. And yeah, it's funny. I, I um, just think about some of those old processes. Walking into a new customer environment, we're there to build quite a sophisticated Dynamics 365 application with lots of Power Platform components. And they say, okay, uh, first thing you need to do is apply for a building pass so you can come up in the elevator and get into the office. And you need a government ID. So two application processes, both initiated on a Adobe PDF form that yeah. require a physical signature. But I can't print it out because I don't have a, <laughs> the access pass is needed at the printer because it's oh, a secure, secure print. Oh. So I have to fill in the form, email it to somebody, they print it, then I sign it, then I scan it back in and email, oh, jeepers, it's just... Okay, I've just discovered my next project at this organization once yes. we finish this mission critical <laughs> dynamics application. That's, Perfect uh, example. Yeah, there's so I, I many of it. those old processes that are initiated with a web form or an Adobe form uh, yes. or an Excel spreadsheet that look, looks like a form. Yeah. yeah, let's fix all of those. Yeah, and I have the Excel uh, underscore one, underscore final, <laughs> underscore final one. I have this version. Is this the current version? I don't know. Yeah. But in, then if you have like the whole workforce equipped with Power Apps or Power Automate, and they get the basic idea and the basic training for that, and they can apply this knowledge to those processes. That's oh, that would be amazing. What then? Yeah. Real uh, benefits actually are, are possible. And I really love this situation when it makes click. Ah, huh? that's what we're going to use it for. Love it. Yeah. Do, do you see any larger customers that have competing platforms? They got the Microsoft Power Platform and some other, you know, low code, no code. A productivity platform there as well or do customers you know generally approach you because they're just a power platform i know there are other local platforms <laughs> but i couldn't name one of them oh, i know i should okay. maybe because i should like get a broader mindset and and see what's out there and not slowly f focus on microsoft but um don't have time for that <laughs> <laughs> fair enough i'm, I'm yeah. too busy building power platform projects <laughs> yeah. i'd see a few customers with a little bit of adoption of something else and they're they'll come to me and say well can you help us do an evaluation or can you help us understand the strengths and weaknesses of the power platform versus this other one it's a little hard because obviously i don't have any experience of the other platform that they've got mm. and i'm not exactly the most independent uh, <laughs> judge in the world so i can only speak for the one i love but uh, yes yeah, interesting to see some others emerge as we're speaking of it, I just have a customer with a project right now going on, and they had a different local platform, and they built an app, but it didn't work. It kind of worked, but they had very hard limitations on how to design the canvas. <laughs> and they have this assembly line for quality management, and it didn't work too well. And yeah, now we're rebuilding the whole thing with Power Platform. Okay. Apps. 
All right. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> um, it's a shame you can't remember the name of the competitor. We'd, we'd uh, name them and shame them here on the show. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We'll have to look it up. So, Michael, before we let you go, I do want to discuss your amazing style. Tell me a little bit about the uh, hair color. Is that a natural hair color? Have you had some enhancement done? Tell me what's going on there. It's uh, amazing. Uh, well, thanks. And the nails, oh. too. Yes, yes. I've painted nails since like a couple of years. Uh, uh, this is not my natural hair color. I dyed my hair, obviously. I don't know. I think at some point I realized that I don't want to grow up. <laughs> I like blue or many colors, actually. So um, I think, why not? And actually, when I was younger, I had quite long hair, like to, to my waist or something. And then oh. I didn't want to do anything with my hair because it took so long to, long to grow it. And now I have short hair and I think, well, why not? If I don't like it, I can just shave it off and try something new. Yeah, cool. Just to experiment with things. And the thing with the nails is actually... I got two little kids, two daughters, and I think when they were young, I realized that when you're reading children's books and you have the classical gender roles, like yeah. the doctor and the nurse, or the male doctor and the female nurse, and the same with lawyers and with, with craftsmen and all that thing, and I don't like that. And yeah. I want uh, my girls to grow up with the idea that they can become anything they like, and it doesn't matter how somebody look, and that doesn't define anything. So I said, talking is one thing, but acting is another. So I paint my nails and we have regular like nail polishing parties together and um, they like it. And I actually like to be on the playground with them and other kids approach me. You have painted nails. I said, yes, I know. And blue hair. Yes. <laughs> Why? Because I like it. But you're a daddy. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, that's my daddy doesn't too. do that. Yeah. <laughs> But maybe he should, <laughs> or maybe yeah. he shouldn't. I don't know. Do what you like and uh, what feels good. So, yeah. It's funny. I have two daughters as well. I have an older Ooh. son and then two little girls, and they would love to paint my nails and try their latest lipstick shades on me. So maybe I should just say yes and go for it. And, yes, and record go for some it. videos. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. I do love but, your, your idea of exploring all kinds of different professions and roles for women and, and, and girls. There are still far too many gender stereotypes. My wife and I are constantly battling against that and, and trying to bring up girls that, that have endless possibilities. Mm. There's still a lot of pressure and they still love playing with dolls and, and falling back into those little girl stereotypes. And that's okay if, if that's their choice. I just don't want them yes. to be limited. So, um. Yeah, if they have the choice and they still choose to like perform things that uh, are considered to be uh, dressing pink or something, if they enjoy it, that's just fine. But especially in our tech world, I think it's, it's very, very necessary that we like open up the mind and then get yep. rid of these old structures and old ideas and old gender roles and stereotypes. And I think women have it difficult in the tech world, and I think that's not fair. Yeah, we've seen far too many cases of that, of, of this, the yeah, the comments and the abuse and the approaches that, that uh, the women in our profession and our community get. And we've got a long way to go to solve some of those issues. Absolutely, yes. Still a long way. Yeah, cool. Well, on that happy note, wow. <laughs> Is there anything else, Michael, that I should have asked you that you'd love to express an opinion on or, or share with the audience? Oh, I can talk all day long, actually. <laughs> but I think we covered my main areas, actually. Uh, the governance, maybe unusual background. Uh, I didn't talk too much about tech, but about mindset and change and all that. Okay. And a little bit about feminism. Yeah, that, that are the uh, <laughs> the, important, yeah, so, um, the important parts. I noticed on your Twitter profile, 
Um, feminism is the second word you use to describe yourself. A feminist, actually. Yeah, amazing. Trying to become better. <laughs> I have like the situations where I'm stuck in an old mindset and I'm still stuck to old structures because I grew up in such a world and I am a white cis male. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to make up my mind to see inequality and then stand up against it. Not always successful, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> Very good. So apart from your Twitter profile, which is Michael Roth 42 how else can people follow you and, and uh, tag along in your content and find out what you've got going on? MichaelRoth42 is actually the baseline for everything. This is the end of my LinkedIn profile as well. Um, so Twitter, LinkedIn, and I have a blog, www.MichaelRoth42.com, where I mainly blog about power platform governance and I have a whole series of governance, how to get started and all this. Um, yes, MichaelRoth42 is the tag that works. Are you going to change all those handles whenever you grow up and eventually become 43? Uh, I'm not even 24 yet. Uh, 42. <laughs> 42. <laughs> This is just the Douglas Adams uh, reference to Hitchhiker's ah, Guide to the Galaxy. The meaning of the universe. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Very good. Okay. Well, with that, Michael, thanks so much for coming on and joining me on the Amazing Applications podcast. It's been thanks a lot of fun chatting me. with you. All the best. Thanks very much. Have a nice afternoon. Thanks, Michael, for joining me on Amazing Applications today. Visit amazingapps.show slash 133. And you'll find links to Michael's social sites, which are all MichaelRoth42. If you enjoyed the lesson that Michael shared with us about power platform governance, please remember to comment on this episode on LinkedIn. You'll find it on the customary company page. Follow that page, comment on this episode's post, and share it with your connections. Michael and I would really appreciate it. In the next episode, you'll find out whether I'm beginning to hate Scrum. And I've got another guest for you in the episode after that. Until then, keep sprinting.